That was cool. I just saw that. A little slide went for Anyway, sorry. <laughs> like I'm watching. I get to watch myself on TV now, and I like to be like, hey, hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Looking good. Uh, anyway, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> uh, tonight we're going to ask ourselves, why are we not happy? So get happy. And that's actually, we're going to see that uh, it could be translated that way because this is a command in our passage to rejoice always. It's, uh, it's a way in which, and Paul puts the word always first. Mm, now, that, 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 that could be misconstrued. Uh, when he doesn't, in English it says rejoice always. Paul writes it always rejoice. And what's neat about Greek is you can move words wherever you want them. And, and by putting the word always at the front, uh, he's emphasizing it slightly. You know, It's kind of a way in which you could slightly like italicize a word or underline a word when, in fact, in the, the letters that they're writing, they don't do any of that. Uh, and so the Greek in the grammar gives you a way of doing that. So putting always first... So think about it. If you're commanded to be happy, someone would say, well, you know, when? It's like, I've been happy. But have you been happy always? And like, who? none of us could say, yeah. But all of us are to be. Right? As we've seen many times, that God gives us the ideal of the believer. In his word, it's always the ideal. And, and that doesn't, I don't mean that in a way of that it's unreachable, because when we get to heaven, it will be. But that's what we're to strive for. We're to never say, you know what, I'm 50% happy, that's good enough. If the, if the world is 10% happy and you're 50% happy, boy, are you going to stand out. But God says, no, don't stop there. As you grow in grace and knowledge, we are to be and we're commanded to be happy all the time. And I'll say, well, what about when we're going through painful circumstances? We'll see tonight that the Bible addresses that. So uh, let's open up in prayer and let's be grateful and thankful and happy about God's word and being able to hear God's word and study it. And to be changed by it. And the more we know, the more we're changed, the more we know uh, and by faith believe God the Holy Spirit uh, shows us more of Christ. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this gift of time that we have here on earth now to be able to strive in your plan, led by your word, empowered by your spirit. As we'll see in our passage coming up that we can grieve the spirit. And in that, Father, it would be a life that is apart from you, a life that is not your will. And we do not seek that. We know, Father, that we're limited and finite, and we ask that through your Spirit that we would be less 
ignorant, uh, less unknowing, and more knowing, more understanding, and more able to give our entire lives over to you. And that takes knowledge and faith, and we understand that. that We have to fully comprehend that there is nothing else in this world for us but you. And so, Father, we ask that through your Spirit, that this word that we'll see tonight would enliven or be alive to each of us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So, and this theme I had up uh, yesterday is the theme to this passage, which is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Uh, and it's an attitude of love and thankfulness that is in the church. And that is to provide an environment that is at its its greatest for spiritual growth. So there should be an environment in the church in which the greatest opportunity for spiritual growth is there. And that does that would be the majority of that would be the teaching of God's word, but it wouldn't only be that, as we'll see in our passage. Uh, <clears throat> the passage that itself starts off with in chapter 5, uh, that... The Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Uh, And you can see it in chapter 1. The day of the Lord, sorry, in verse 1. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. We are sons of day and of light, so we need not fear. Uh, We need to be alert, though. And so if you look at 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, this is Paul's one, one of Paul's last sentences that he ever wrote. Is This is his last letter before he dies. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. And so for those, those of us who are alert, not, not that... We're thinking at every moment that Christ could return. It's just that we we comprehend that. You know, we're <clears throat> certainly when the Lord returns, we're all going to be taken by surprise. But that surprise will quickly turn to cognition when we recognize that we're in the rapture and that, if we are, is going to be something that we love. Uh, notice Paul here promises that the crown of righteousness is to all those who love his appearing. So if you go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Gail, can I have slightly more volume in, in here? Thanks. Just a little bit more. Tesla, yeah, perfect, right there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For, the, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you were doing. So you see, as, as Paul here now, and you can see it, uh, sorry, you weren't there when I said look in verse 1. Now you can look at verse 1, verses 1 and 2. See that, you know, the, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And then this is explained as we've seen that we're sons of day and that we need not fear it. And Paul further Uh, shows us why we shouldn't fear it in verse 9, because God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. So we're joyous at that time. We're always ready and expectant of that time. And notice at the end of verse 10, it says that we may live together with him. Now, if we're living together with him, then we're perfect. 
And this speaks of heaven. This speaks of us at this rapture where uh, the church has been lifted up and is with the Lord in the air. And so we're all together. That togetherness now Paul, through the rest of this passage, brings down to earth. And it's really neat how he shows us our togetherness in heaven first. And then he takes that, that unity, that love, that togetherness, all that you can imagine, us as one as the church, and then he brings that back down to earth and he tells us, now run your churches like this. So your church needs to be like all of us would be at the rapture. Now, of course, we know that there's issues with that. You know, there's things to overcome. And, of course, the thing to overcome is us, is the people. We're sinners. Uh now, the Thessalonians are already doing this, uh, which what I mean already doing what? Uh, verse 11. Therefore, this is where now he brings us back down to earth. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. He says, just as you're doing, you're already doing it, but I command you again, these are both imperatives, encourage, which is the Greek word parakaleo. Parakaleo means to comfort as well and to build up a uh, koidomeo, which means to build a house. And we've seen these words before. So hold your place here. Go back to Ephesians 4. A quick trip to Ephesians 4, and then we'll come back. Not too long ago, we've seen this word building up. Now, the, the word for encourage means to comfort. You see what I mean? It's not in the church. It's not just Bible teaching. Right? That's a, that's a great part of it. But we're also to encourage one another. That means you've got to get involved in other people's lives. We're to build up one another. Right? So if we're going to build up one another, we have to get involved in each other's lives. Not in an intrusive way, but meaning that I've got to know what's going on with you. I have to care about you. This is going to continue in this passage. So the Bible teaching is teaching us how to be Christ-like so that as Christ-like Christians, we can actually help one another and build something in the church that is a place of growth. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, God has designed a family here in the church of which we are together and supporting one another. So we've seen this. Look at Ephesians 4.12. Uh, after referring to spiritual gifts, he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And that's the same word that's used there. The building up of the body of Christ. Same word that's in 1 Thessalonians 5. Where These gifts are for equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is the act of building up. It is an action. Right? It's not just... You know, I don't know anything about you. I don't do anything for you. I don't pray for you. You know, I, it, no, it means that I'm actually doing something, whatever it's called for, a function of my spiritual gift to build you up. <coughs> build you up to what? Well, well uh, glad you asked. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children. I mean, we're, we're to mature to the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. We're no longer to be children, 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So in other words, we're mature enough that false doctrines are not leading us astray. And then in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together or fitly held together by what every joint supplies. Now, some have thought, getting back to verse 12, that it's only the, you see the four spiritual gifts that Paul lists there, the, the uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher, they're the ones that equip the saints. But you notice at the end in verse 16 that we are fitted together and held by what every joint supplies. The joint is not just the pastor. The joint is every one of us. We supply one another. But of course we do. We were all given spiritual gifts. We, in, we supply one another, and then the, continuing according to the proper working of each individual part, right? Paul is making this super clear that each of us individually, as, as members of the body of Christ, have something to do that contributes to the body. And again, I emphasize something to do causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And there is a key word, in love. Um, So if this togetherness of the church in heaven is going to exist here in time, at our church, then it has to be done in love. And that means I have to care about you. And I have to um, desire for you. You see, one of the things that made Paul the happiest was that those he instructed actually got it and that they, they lived the life. They lived the Christian life. They matured, and it, it, it made them super happy. First uh, Corinthians 8.1, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. That's the same word, koidomeo, which means to build up, love edifies. So um, <clears throat> the love of heaven is to be the love of those who are in the church. Again, after Christ comes, the day of the Lord, we're all, whether we're dead or we're alive, meaning whether we're awake or asleep, we all rise with him, we're all together with him in heaven. And then Paul says, now that picture becomes your church and you're not going to have it if you don't have God's love. And those of us who know about God's love say, well, you know, this is actually quite obvious because there's no way I'm going to lay down my life for you or consider you more important than myself or to serve you or to build you up if I am self-absorbed. The love of heaven is to be those uh, be the love of those who are in the church on earth. That togetherness is to be the same on earth as it is in heaven. Does that know that phrase? That sound familiar? On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Paul then describes what perfect unity looks like. You can go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. He starts with the relationship of leaders to the congregation. I'll uh, spare us that verse for now, which starts in verse 12. He starts with the relationship between the leaders and the congregation. 
then he continues to explain the relationship of the entire congregation. Look, First, first Thessalonians 5.13, live in peace with one another. That means all of us live in peace. And we urge you all, brethren, we urge you, brethren, all of you, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. That's, again, the word that means comfort. Comfort the faint-hearted. Actual, the, the original um, definition of that word there, encourage, is to speak soothingly to. So it's a real word of comfort. Uh, so admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. That word help means to support and be patient with all men. So we have peace with all, patient with all, and in the middle are those of us who are falling into these categories. The only category that's not listed here are those who are strong and mature. I guess Paul figures he doesn't have to list those because those are the ones who are going to be admonishing, encouraging, and helping. But you know, either you're disobedient or you're faint-hearted, which means you're really beaten down by life and discouraged, or weak, meaning you're spiritually immature. But you're in the church. You're a member of the church. And you need to be here, wherever you're at. And all of us are to build up one another and encourage one another, comfort one another. And, uh, and if we don't, we don't have a church. Right? It's more of a gathering. But, you know, a church, which is what is Christ's body, that's what it needs to be. Then Paul goes into the fact that all of us, if we see any conflict developing, we have to do what we can to put a stop to it. So it says, verse 15, see to it, again referring now to all, not just the leadership, see to it that one that no one repays another with evil for evil. And we looked at this yesterday. This is word for word repeated by Paul in, in the book of Romans. Um, and, you know, this vengeance is all throughout the Scripture, Old Testament and New. We are not take revenge on anyone. But it is acknowledged here by Paul that people are going to do evil things to us. Well, one of us might be, one of, we might be weak today. Uh, one of us might be faint-hearted today. And that's, that's a time when we can kind of lash out. One of us might be disobedient today or unruly and, you know, that's a time where in a, in a moment, uh, in an impulsive moment, I could say something that is hurtful or do something that's hurtful. How are you to respond to me? And I love this. This is the, the coin of the realm for Christianity. The realm is the kingdom of heaven. The coin is Christ, love, gentleness, forgiveness, all of those virtues, that's our money. And what does the world give us? The world gives us evil. The world gives us sin. When we're worldly, we give each other evil and sin. What are we to exchange? I take your evil and I exchange it for what? He says, see that, make sure that no one pays, repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Not just in the church, but for all men. This is, uh, you know, like Christ threw out the money changers in the temple. We are money changers. We receive the evil of the world and we give them back the coin of the realm that is of the kingdom of heaven. You just unloaded on me 
all of this earthly, worldly thing, and I return to you a heavenly thing. I think it sounds super neat when, when it's put that way. Therefore, Paul is referring to the consistent attitudes that are occupied, that are where, where we are occupied with God and his blessings. Not with the evil that someone's done to me. Not with the disobedience that a person has. Not with you know, anything about them other than I want them to be blessed. I want them to know God. I want them, I want what's best for them. And in this he uses these three adverbs. Look at verse 16. Always without ceasing and in everything. Excuse me. And in all three of these you got I have no idea why the the translators put well back when they put in verses. It's not the translators, but whenever they threw in verses, they decided to take these three things and make them three different verses. Uh, but anyway, uh, rejoice always. I guess it is, it is a complete sentence. But Paul puts always at the first. When he says praying, he puts without ceasing first. When he says give thanks, these are all commands, he puts in everything first. He's emphasizing not the fact that you're thankful every once in a while or that you pray every once in a while when the mood hits you, or that you are happy every once in a while when circumstances are, you know, the stars align and you're in the perfect situation for you to be happy. But this is always. What is your prayer life supposed to be? Without ceasing. That doesn't mean every moment, but absolutely consistent. And frequent. Right? And that's what he's getting at. This is what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul. That this is supposed to be a perpetual lifestyle in which we have all three of these. And as I said last night, you know, I put joy, prayer, and thankfulness in a, in a fire thing because without the Holy Spirit, this doesn't work at all. Look at verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When Paul says it's God's will for you, he means all three. That's pretty clear here. So this is God's will that you're always rejoicing, always praying, or consistently praying, and always being thankful. This is my will. And then Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. You know, it's another command. And quench means to put out a fire. That's what the word means. In the context of the Scripture, it's used several times in the Scripture I think somewhere around 20, 20 something times it's used in the New Testament, and it always, pretty much always means to put out a fire. Um, and so, the spirit within us is a fire that we can take advantage of by faith, by doing these things. You see, when you say, see this, you say, rejoice always, what are we to do as a believer in response? We say, yes, all right, Paul, yes, God, I have not been consistently happy. I mean, all of us are going to get a bit of a gut punch from this, right? How about today? Were you happy all day? (laughs) How about yesterday? How about last week? You know, how about the last 10 years? 
Of what percentage of those waking moments were you actually rejoicing? We all have a lot of room for improvement. But what should our be should be our response to this? Ah, it's just a tiny little verse. It's just two words, right? Just you know, move on. No, absolutely not. This is God's will for you. And you know, this uh, car, car uh, I forget the, the command here is karate. Charis, where we get the, it's a root word of the word grace. Happiness and grace are similar words in Greek, and therefore, by the grace of God, we've been given the gift of happiness. And it's what everybody wants, and God has provided it to us through Christ our Lord. Uh, so, our response to this should be I need to be this all the time. How is that going to happen? All three of these are a means of worshiping God. Being happy is a means of worshiping God. Being grateful is a means of worshiping God. And certainly praying is a means of worshiping God. Our relationship with God, therefore, in terms of being happy, prayerful, and thankful, is a part of our very real personal relationship with God every day. It's our manner every day of worshiping Him. These things are a part of our relationship with Him. For all He is and all He has given us, if we really walk with Him personally every day, then we will be joyful because your eyes are on Him and His blessings. We will be thankful. Now, of course, there's going to be situations that come up that are going to push us right out of that thankfulness. But we should recognize it quickly and do the things that change us back to thankful, which generally involves some confession and some repentance. It's a misunderstanding in Christianity that we can do these things by our own will. In other words, all right, you want me to be thankful all the time, Lord, I'm going to be thankful. Well, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. Not on your own. I'm going to develop a heart of happiness. You're not going to do it. Happiness and gratitude, and actually prayer as well, always come from without, not within. What I mean by that is, I can't make myself happy. I mean unbelievers as well. They can't make themselves happy. If they could, then everybody would be happy because that's what they want. Everybody seeks for happiness because they think there's something out there. There's something out there that is going to give them happiness. They're seeking for the thing that's going to stimulate happiness in them. So it's a misunderstanding uh, when Christians try to force these virtues onto their own souls. It can't be forced. To find joy, when we're trying to force ourselves, finding joy is elusive. Very elusive. Prayer is mechanical and boring, and that's why people quit on it. Thankfulness is only lip service. The misunderstanding is that you have to first come to know Christ as a person. And with him, you will know the Father. And then in him, the joy will come. Because it comes from him. That's going to be our first instant that we're going to see. So, pray without ceasing. 
Sorry. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will. We'll return to that. This is God's will later on. All right, so we're going to look at the will of God in reference to these three, but what I want to do is look at these three. Joy. Prayer we've already done a pretty long thing on, but we'll touch upon some things. And thankfulness. How do I develop in myself a person that is all these three things consistently? Because it will change your life. Change anybody's life. So, first, rejoice always. Uh, Paul puts the uh, always first, as I said, which emphasizes it. I picked a picture of a little kid because kids are naturally happy. All the time? No way. Whoever this little boy is, he looks to me like a tiny little John Farley. If you know John Farley, he looks to me just like him. But uh pastor got ordained with me. But anyway, uh, this the fact that he puts always first, he's emphasizing the consistency. Not that we're, he's not saying, hey, be happy. And I say, well, yeah, last year about this time, I remember being happy. Or, yeah, when I was, when I started that, the first day of that vacation, I was happy. I remember that. And when, when, I, when I got that great gift for my birthday, I remember that. that I was happy. Fleeting, though, isn't it? So Paul is emphasizing the always. Why isn't this true for Christians? You know a lot of happy people? I mean, I know a few. Uh, they're, they're mostly here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, as I think of that, you, you could be the most mature person in the world. You're going to get brought down at times and not be happy. It's going to happen. We're not perfect. But this, but you know, if you're someone who actually taps into this for the right reasons, very consistently, will you be a happy person? And it will not depend upon circumstances because it depends upon first and foremost. The most, the, the passage I use first is the most important one. And and this, it's one line, or well, really two lines in. But they're single, quick, as Paul says here at the, at the end of his letter and to uh, Philippians in Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You love the lack of detail and explanation here. Because he doesn't need to do that. By saying in the Lord, he's saying so much. What is in the Lord? Everything else we're going to see coming up tonight. Uh if you seek Him, you will find Him. That's the promise. If you find Him, His joy will be in you. He promised that. He said, abide in me, and my joy will abide in you. Now, abide is a word that means to remain. It means to stay someplace and not leave. That's all the word means. In Him, now in position we are, but are we mentally, in our hearts, are we abiding in Him? That's the key. That each of us have to ask ourselves. And, uh, and 
you know, even if you don't lie to yourself about that, at least you can evaluate your time and say, well, now, you know, this is what Bible class is for or reading the Bible is for, is for oftentimes self-examination. And see, so, you know, how much time do I spend really trying to please him versus how much time I try to spend pleasing myself? How much time do I really spend concentrating and focusing on you know, not as a mental exercise, but because he's someone I love. How much time do I spend really, when I'm looking at that person that i got to deal with, do I see them in the light of Christ or do I see them in the light of them? Because the light of them is going to be hard to deal with. But when I'm, in, when I'm occupied with him, well, that, that brings in a whole different perspective. You know, especially with the returning Lord. We keep in context here with this passage. The Lord's coming back at any moment. And my dealing with that person is not permanent. You know, it's a temporary thing. And how I treat them can be either how my Lord would treat them or something else. And let's say as I was treating them as something else, the Lord came back. Or, as I was treating them like him, like the steward that he made me to be, the Lord came back. There's a great difference there. By the way, once the Lord comes back, your journey's over. I know I'm, I'm being Captain Obvious here. I'm stating the obvious. But the, the amount of time that you have to do either good works or bad works is completely over at that moment. And right afterwards, all of us will be judged for what we've done. People seek pleasure in the wrong places. Hence, they seek joy in the wrong places. It's like addictions. Why do people get held up by addiction? They started seeking for pleasure in the wrong place, and they kept returning to that place, and an addiction occurred. It's, uh, there's a passage in James 4 that says the pleasure in our bodies is at war with us. Imagine that pleasure is at war with you. That does, it just, it's, so, it's an image that is so uh, impactful that the very pleasure that I seek in my own body is warring against me. The problem isn't pleasure. The, pl- the problem is the source. The problem isn't joy here. The problem is the source. Uh, people's joy really almost always depend on their circumstances, or rather I should say their perceived circumstances. Like, for instance, according to a Harvard Youth poll, Gen Zers, I had to actually look this up. I didn't know what, what, what year Gen Zers were from. Uh, people born in late 1990s, early 2000s. So there are people right now that are about 23, 22, around there. 47% of them are depressed and hopeless in a recent poll. 47. So half of them are depressed and hopeless. It's not like they're living through a war, right? It's not like they... <laughs> it's not like they... They don't all have really good cell phones 
and a roof over their head and plenty of food and water. It's not like they're, they're, they're starving. It's not like they're in a concentration camp. No, they've got very good lives. And yet, half of them are depressed. Why? Perception. Perception of reality that is absolutely wrong. So, Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is the line that sums up our happiness. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. So now we're going to turn to a bunch of passages. Within, I can get this over in ten minutes and wrap it up. Because they're, they're self-explanatory. So go to Revelation 19. That one should be easy to get to. And you can park yourself there while we, the first few are on the board. Uh, so, knowing that first, now all of these passages have the word rejoicing in it. Well, really the Greek word. It has the same Greek word that Paul uses, uh, uh, charismas. Um, it doesn't matter. But uh, knowing that your Lord is resurrected and you will see him, John 16, 22, therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. Is this only to the disciples? Of course not. It's to all of us. Your Lord's resurrected, and you're going to see him face to face. It could be today. That should make your heart rejoice. And again, it's getting back to the same, it's the same principle as the first one. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, rejoice in the fact that you're going to see him someday. Someday soon. I mean, heck, even if, if, if we're not going to experience the rapture, all of us here are old enough to know that right, we're, we're not going to be here that long. <laughs> There's no, nobody in here tonight who's, who's young enough to think that they're going to live a long time. See, that's a, that's a misconception of the young. Uh, as we progress in age, we know, you know what, and start thinking about it. I probably only have about 20, 30 years and... How fast does 20 or 30 years go? Well, now that I'm 50, I'll just see me. Now that I'm 57, uh, yeah, real fast. So I'll be dead before I know it. Perfect. Uh, we rejoice. So to see the Lord. Uh, yeah, that's the next one. We rejoice in the hope that Christ gives us. Romans 12:12 12, 12 and Romans 5:2. Paul says, rejoicing in hope in 12.12. This is part of another list. I didn't put the whole thing in there, but it's, it's a whole list of our behavior. And he just says hope. You know, we've, we have hope. Hope in what? Our future. Our future is great. Oh, but wait a minute. Don't you, didn't you read about the prediction of the economy? Didn't you read about the prediction of, look, we're going to go to war with Russia. World War III is coming. Didn't, didn't you read about that? Didn't you read about this? You read about that? You read about that? I, lo- I love that. The, the few lines that Tucker Carlson said is, you know, the whole world knows that he's, he's out at Fox News. And he, he just said, you know, I've been around normal people for the last few days, and it's really great. You say everything they're arguing about in the news is just unreal. <laughs> it's not really real. And if people, you know, normal people just go about their lives. It's amazing. 
And we all get wrapped up in it. We can so easily get wrapped up in it. Yeah, he was in the thick of it, and now he steps out of it. And if, you know, he says, and I trust him in that, he says that it's all a bunch of malarkey, then, all right. And it actually is. What if we go to war? What if this? What if that? I'm going to be with my Lord face to face, no matter what happens. I rejoice now. Uh, Romans 5, 2, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. In that passage, uh, Paul is talking about our salvation. And then in Revelation 19, 7, notice, we're fast, fast forward way into the future or really soon. <laughs> in Revelation 19, 7, uh, John writes, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? Hello, bride. That's you. Keith, I hope you, you're you going to look great. I, I almost went, went after that, but we're all going to look great. As it says here, dressed in white, he says the great and the small. It's at this point in the book of Revelation that the hallelujahs come out. Right? You can see them in verse 1. Right? After Babylon, the great has been completely destroyed. There's no more singing in Babylon, but at the marriage feast of the Lamb, they just can't keep quiet about it. Down on earth, they're probably like, what is all that noise? And it's us in heaven at our marriage feast, our wedding to the Lord. See, that's hope. Let us rejoice and be glad. Yeah. Ain't nothing going to stop that. Now, here's a good one. Rejoicing in the fact that when you're persecuted, there is great reward in it. Matthew 5.12 Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when they persecute you for my namesake. That word blessed means happiness. Happy are you when they persecute you for my namesake. Why would that make me happy? Well, because of my perspective. I'm not one of those little woke kids, <laughs> Gen Zers. Right? I've got my mind on him. If I'm being persecuted for his sake, what does that say of me? It means I'm like him. Yeah, in a world that God has has created but has also allowed for people to go against him. It's almost like, I was thinking about it the other day, this, this big experiment that God is doing in which he just allows some to pick good and some to pick bad and he lets them show themselves. Yeah, that, was, that was my definition of human history. Set before him good and bad and let him choose. And they do. And look at the results. Evil never works. Sin never works. Badness never. It never works. It never does anybody any good. All it does is take, 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 take. And then you have those who are by, by grace saved and they get it. They, their eyes are open. They see the truth. And how are their lives? And it's, you could take everything from them and they'll be happy as they were when they had everything. Just as much. Because they get it. 
The Lord is my happiness. My destiny is Him. And there's more happiness to come from. It's not just ours alone. There is also the spiritual success of others. Go to Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 5. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. I rejoice. Paul, said, I, Paul never went to Colossae. He never met any one of them. Here he is in jail. He's in prison, right in this letter. And he says, I'm, I'm not there, but I'm there. I'm there in spirit, and I know from Epaphras, your pastor, who has come and told me that you have good discipline and stability of faith, and I rejoice. How many people in the world rejoice at their own success, but then to see another succeed? Well, that's a different story. Would I sacrifice something for you to succeed? That's a really good question. How many people do that? Paul's in prison, you know, he, and he's going to say this later on. You know, don't don't be uh, don't be concerned about my imprisonment. It's only it's only made for the furtherance of the gospel. I actually rejoice in my imprisonment, and he rejoiced because of others. It'll be especially joyful for us when those others who are doing well spiritually, at some time in the past, we ministered to them, we comforted them, we prayed for them. Right? We used our spiritual gift to assist in them. And now we see them blossom. What joy. The spiritual success of others. It's not just about us, right? And, so, and that's what God has designed. He's designed in the church. Right? He made a church. It's a gathering. And he didn't make it so that, all right, I'm going to make a whole bunch of brand new creatures that are in Christ, and then I'm just, you know, I don't need you to gather together or anything. You're all individually worshipers of God, and so just go about your own business. But no, God purposely created a church. And he made it so that I'm not going to give you all all the spiritual gifts. I'm going to give... Some of you different spiritual gifts. And if you want to function, if the church is going to function the way I want it to, well, you're all going to have to work together. And I'm going to sure as heck handpick people with different personalities. I sure am, I am sure to pick people that are going to potentially rub each other in a wrong way uh, with personality conflict. And I'm going to tell you by love, by service, by, by the Word of God, you are going to overcome that. Yeah, that's, that's God speaking, not me, though. Uh, same thing with the Thessalonians, which we saw not long ago. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, Paul wrote, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoiced before our God on your account? We rejoice because... You're doing awesome in the spiritual life. That makes us happy. Right? So we can each ask ourselves, 
do we get joy from others in our local assembly who are doing well spiritually? You know, are, do, do we rejoice with them? Or do we even know? In other words, if we're not involved in anybody's life, and then, and again, I don't mean intrusively, I mean that you know of them. Speak with them. Find out what's going on with them. Really care, which is what love would be. And, uh, and, and, and you would rejoice. All right, John 4. This is a great one. There's the joy of the fellowship of those who minister for the gospel. You're ministering for the gospel and someone else is with you ministering for the gospel. You have the reaper and the sower. And just like when people are working together in the fields, which, you know, not that I know too much about that, but they're producing a crop together and, uh, you know, and it's, it's something of a camaraderie that brings joy. Look at John 4.34. This is after he talks to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus said to them, they said, Jesus hasn't eaten all day. He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then the harvest, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. It's amazing that he says this right before him and them go into Samaria, and their uh, ministry there is so fruitful. This Samaritan woman is the first evangelist in the New Testament. He sends her, and then they go in, and he's saying, look, he says, lift up your eyes. And he really means that this city of Samaritans, the Samaritans that the Jews hate. And he says, lift up your eyes. Look, the fields are white for harvest. And then he says in verse 36, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. I wonder if he means the Samaritan woman there. So that he who sows and he who reaps may what? Rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. But notice the word rejoice. They who reap and sow, they rejoice together. And that's us ministering the gospel. All right, next one is experiencing the sufferings of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4. Yeah, we can do it. Look at 1 Peter 4. Well, I'm roughly on schedule. 1 Peter 4.12. So we've already seen this uh, rejoicing in suffering for his name's sake. Peter's going to say similar. Now look, if you don't suffer for his name's sake, you're not going to experience this one. Getting back to uh, the joy of fellow, fellow ministers in the gospel. What if you don't minister the gospel? You're not going to see that one either. There's joy in that. You have just taken that joy that God has given you for being a minister of the gospel and you're saying, nah, no thanks, I don't want that one. I don't want joy. Why are you not joyful? I don't mean you, but I'm just saying it for rhetorical effect. Why are we not joyful? Because we're selling ourselves short here. We're not doing these things. Staying to ourselves. 
closing our mouths. We don't want to be embarrassed. What happens if they yell at me for bringing up the gospel? Well, uh, that's the next one. <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I forgot my arrows. Yeah, there you go. So now you got a double joy. You got joy for sharing the gospel, and then they yelled at you or persecuted you, told you to shut up, and you say, "Wow, I'm even more joyful." Thank you. First Peter four twelve. We love this passage, don't we? Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that comes upon you for your testing. Dokimazo, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may re- rejoice with exultation. And there's your rejoicing and exultation that that has already been mentioned by Paul. When you see Him, uh, or no, Jesus said it in John 16. When you see me, you will rejoice. Well, here it is. But now, this is another one that has double joy because I've suffered for his name's sake and then I see him. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. No wonder we can have it all the time. If, if we pursue that for which we've been made. So if the believer says, you know, I'm just going to do some parts of the Christian life and not others. That's why you're not joyful all the time. You have it in fits and starts, but you don't have it all the time. That's why. I'm going to pick the parts of the Christian life that I like, and I'm going to leave the rest. That's why you're not joyful all the time. Give it over. It's worth it. Give the whole thing to him. The whole life. Just do it. And I, you know, I love the fact that we're going to do it eventually. In heaven, we're all going to do it. So it's almost like God is saying, look, I'm going to overwhelm you with myself. You might as well just give in now. Just give in now. Suffering for the gospel. You're close. Uh, close enough. Philippians 2. Uh, yeah, why not? I don't want to go over. Yeah, I'm just about here. Philippians 2. Oh, this is our last one. Philippians 2.17, suffering for the gospel. We know three of these have been suffering out of this small section I've given you. I didn't didn't pick them on purpose. I went in a certain order in in a book. Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, he's talking about himself in prison. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This has two things here. That if I'm suffering for the cause of Christ, I should rejoice. Because that means I'm like him in a world that doesn't like him. Secondly, You should share that joy with others. Paul said, I share my joy with you. I want you to share your joy with me. Just so refreshing to have happy people around you. I guess you only really know that after you've had, if you've had miserable people around you. You know, it's it's a real blessing to have joyful people.
Jesus says in Luke 6:22, "Blessed are you in the same vein, suffering for the uh, suffering for the gospel. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven." So, linking here to the rejoicing with the suffering is a reward. And I love how he doesn't say what the reward is. He, he says it's great, and that's good enough. And even this phrase, leap for joy? Like, really? And yeah, obviously, that's what he means. He said it's, it's the greatest thing. The reward that you're going to get for suffering for the gospel. And then lastly... Love rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, which is our def- long definition of love that's in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So, what do we have? Joy is in the Lord, in resurrection, hope of the future, seeing the Lord, being persecuted for His namesake, spiritual success of others, Ministering the gospel, sowing and reaping together, experiencing the sufferings of Christ, suffering for the gospel's sake, and getting to know the truth. And not one of these things are of earthly value. None of them. No one's going to pay you to do this. No one's going to reward you on earth for doing any of these. But they are, every one of them, eternal. Suffering for the gospel, your reward's in heaven. It's eternal. Joy in the Lord, the Lord's eternal. Hope in the future, our wedding feast, that is eternal. Being persecuted for his name's sake. What about those who get saved through the ministry, your ministry of the gospel? It's eternal. Everything about these are eternal. And this is why people aren't happy. This is why Christians aren't happy. They have a partial relationship, a part-time relationship with the Lord, or they have no relationship with the Lord. And look, all of us seek it. And so if we don't find it in the Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to go look for it somewhere else. We're going to go to other places looking for the stimulation that gives us happiness. Whether it's media, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's um, people admiring you or something. Something could be shopping that I'm going to be on the pursuit of happiness. And you will find it in fits and starts. It will never be permanent. And every time it costs you more than you invest. Always. The beauty of God's happiness is that it doesn't cost you anything. When it comes to God's happiness and pleasure, He gives them. It doesn't cost you. When it comes to the other ones, you have to keep paying. And you pay and you pay and you pay and you pay. And you don't get enough in return. You're always losing what you're paying and eventually you become broke. And what I mean by broke is not just financially. I mean you become an addict. (coughs) And your heart gets hard. And uh, the Lord warns us about that. So, why aren't we happy? 
We're seeking the wrong thing. God is waiting for you. When you return home, He will run to greet you and throw His arms around you and say, welcome home. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for these many, many passages that speak of your joy that comes to us. Show us, Father, how to be joyful and remind us as we pray without ceasing to know where your joy is always. Every day it is ours. Circumstances don't matter. What matters is you. And you don't change. We ask in Christ's name, amen.